1: And we're back to another edition of West of the Rockies. I'm Frank. Thank you guys for sticking around. I know it's late, but man, do we have a really, really fascinating topic lined up for everyone tonight. Genevieve, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing really well. I'm actually really excited about this interview. It sounds fascinating, honestly.
1: Yeah, music and the occult. Those are two terms that people have uh, kind of used in, in the same sentence a lot in the last few decades. And tonight's guest is going to walk us through some of these avenues and uh, find out if there's any truth to some of the uh, the allegations made in the past about occult activities in the music industry. And uh, I really can't wait to get into it. So Genevieve, if you would be so kind to introduce tonight's guest.
0: Yeah, well, this is... An introduction that's taken predominantly from Lance's author page, which can be found on Amazon. So we've got Lance Gilbert on the show tonight, who is a writer of paranormal and occult fiction and nonfiction. Following a series of ghostly experiences in his early 20s, he became fascinated with exploring supernatural phenomena. Soon thereafter, Lance experimented with an ancient spirit evocation book, which resulted in frightening poltergeist intrusions. This led to further investigation and the eventual publishing of two successful books based on his personal experiences, as well as those of others he met through research. Both books were written under pseudonyms, and now Lance has decided to publish using his real name. His latest project, which is what we're interviewing him on tonight, is titled The Led Zeppelin Curse. Jimmy Page and the Haunted Boleskine House. Using his background of over two decades of direct experiences with the paranormal, Lance explores the legend of the Led Zeppelin Curse. This iconic 70s band enjoyed huge success in their early career before turning a sharp corner down a path of bad luck, mayhem and death. Lance's unique insight and conclusions surrounding this musical mystery, one might say, are unlike anything else that has been published about the band before. And with that, we're excited to welcome Lance Gilbert onto West of the Rockies. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Hello, Frank and Genevieve. Thanks for having me. Uh, Looking forward
1: to it. Lance, let's get into this book because this is something that, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I find really, really fascinating, uh, morbidly fascinating, if you will. A lot has been said about Led Zeppelin, specifically Jimmy Page and his interest in the occult and magic. When we talk about Led Zeppelin and all of that myth, if you will, uh, what kind of occult knowledge are we dealing with here that Jimmy Page may have been tapping into?
2: It's tough to say because um, Page has always been very uh, careful not to discuss um, his occult interest in, in detail and um throughout his career there have been times where he's let things slip here and there uh almost as if he's like a kid that's excited to to kind of share you know with people this this fascinating thing he's come across it's really cool he'll let things slip and then people will suddenly you know, whoever's interviewing him will, will start asking more questions uh and then quite often they'll they'll kind of uh, ridicule it or uh, start to ask maybe too many personal questions and then he just shuts off and he gets kind of pissy about it i've i've seen this many times in his interviews um, but he has admitted uh, to following Aleister Crowley's uh, magical system. He says system, but doesn't get really specific, um, as well as practicing talismanic magic, um, uh, which, of course, Crowley uh, has as part of um, his uh, rituals as well. And, and that entails charging objects with magical power uh, for any variety of purposes, like magnetizing good fortune or protecting you or what have you. And also, at 11 years old, uh, Jimmy Page does uh, admit that he was exposed to Crowley's book, uh, Magic in Theory and Practice, uh, at 11. So if you can imagine, he probably didn't comprehend a whole lot at that age, and he admits as such. But I think that's what uh, lit the fire, so to speak. That was Jimmy Page and kind of set him on this path of, you know, simultaneously a path of magic uh, and music and then uh, and combining the two along the way.
1: And what drew yeah, you to yeah. to this band uh, and their music? Were you a Led Zeppelin fan?
2: Uh, curiously enough, I mean, I liked their music uh, growing up. I mean, I was born in '72, uh, and their music—I mean, that was their heyday between you know '70 and '80. Uh, that that period of time. So, as a kid, I'm sure the the music was playing in the background. Uh, you know, as I grew up and kind of impressed my subconscious. Um, but I wasn't a fan in the uh, fanatic sense, in, in the in the literal sense. I liked the music, Um, you know, it was on some few of my playlists, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But once I finished my uh, second book on the occult and paranormal, um, or as I was finishing it up, I included uh, a brief chapter on unique haunted locations. And I came across Boleskine House and also this Led Zeppelin curse. And I was like, whoa. And I just started digging into it. And I said, I've got to write about this because as a writer, you want to, a have a subject you have knowledge of, of, and you and you can you know sound credible, but also something that interests other people, and that way you can actually have people read your stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> having the Jimmy Page subject. Uh, As well as the occult stuff, it was was a nice um, segue into into that book.
1: For the folks at home that are uh, coming in cold into this topic, tell us about this uh, Bleskin house. Uh, Where is it located? What went on there exactly? Because there seems to be a lot of stories tied into this particular property.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. A very interesting place. Um, and, and just um, as a note, uh, it, it did uh, suffer some severe fire damage uh, in, in December 2015, just as I was finishing that other book up. And that was another trigger for me that kind of said, hey, you know, I, I've got to write about this. The, the place just burned down. As far as the place itself goes, I mean, it's it's in uh, Inverness, Scotland, uh, at, at, or on the shores of the famed Loch Ness. So everyone knows about Loch Ness and the Loch Ness Monster. Um the the house was built in the 1760s by Archibald Fraser, uh, and uh, basically the house stayed in the Fraser family uh, up until Aleister Crowley bought it in uh, in 1899. But the house itself was built on church property, and anything with, with religion and all of that mental focus, it's uh, you know it's going to draw in all sorts of entities and and uh, paranormal stuff. One famous legend is that uh, the the house was built on the same uh, site of a Scottish church that burned down with all the congregation inside. And if that is true, can you imagine all that trauma energy of the people dying there, printing the land, Uh, and then they built Boleskine House on top of that? So. it's, it's a pretty pretty freaky place, and um, I'd love to visit there someday. I haven't just yet, though. Yeah,
1: I believe uh, that there was a, some type exciting. of a ritual that Alistair Crowley carried out in, in this property that I believe he didn't quite get to finish, but it was a pretty heavy ritual. Do you have any information on that, and what was he trying to do with that?
2: Yeah, well, Crowley actually selected—he he went on a search to find— the ideal location uh, to conduct this ritual, um, and it's called the the ritual of uh, sacred magic of Malin the Mage, uh, and it's taken from a book. It, it, the goal of the ritual is to connect you with your holy guardian angel or your higher self, and and to acquire knowledge uh, from that that being and whatever one might think that is given your your religious uh, orientation. But but the goal of this ritual was was to connect him with his higher self or his guardian angel uh so he found baleskin house which was uh isolated it was facing north in the right direction uh it had to have all of these these specific details covered so that he could actually conduct the ritual uh required six months of preparation celibacy no drinking alcohol um so lots of intense preparation he had to do that in seclusion uh so he bought baleskin house to do that and the ritual itself was a total disaster
1: before we continue, why don't you tell me a little bit about Alistair Crowley? Because I think a lot of people wonder, you know, how did this guy manage to do everything he did? He seemed to spend his life just traveling from place to place. How did he finance his lifestyle, if you will?
2: Ah, uh, hey, actually, great uh, great question. Uh, he did lead, lead a charmed life because uh, he, was, he was born in 1875. Um, and he was uh, the son of a, a brewing family, actually. Uh, of Plymouth Brethren, so this this is a religious sect, and they they happen to be brewers, which is kind of a an odd thing as well. So um, very wealthy family. Uh, Alistair Crowley loved his dad, uh, but his dad died when he was eleven, uh, which curiously enough is when Page discovered his book at eleven. So mm-hmm. a little interesting um, you know, parallel there. So. Once his dad died, uh, he became rebellious, as any kid would when you have a, a loss like that. Um, and he hated his mom, so he basically renounced uh, Christianity. And once you start going in that kind of a direction, you start accumulating energy or entities, at least in my opinion, that slowly but surely start prodding you in that direction further and further. So he became kind of a wicked character. A uh, prankster and someone that was always uh, saying blasphemous, blasphemous things. And uh, once his mom died, he inherited what's equivalent of about five million dollars uh, in, in money today. Quit college and uh, moved to London and started practicing the occult. And uh, sure enough, I mean, I mean, the guy aside from being an occultist, you know, he's an accomplished mountaineer. He's written books, poetry, painter. He's, he's kind of a Renaissance man. The veneer of this this wicked evil man is kind of the the one thing people focus on, which I think is is
1: unfortunate. Interesting uh, tidbit of information. Uh, Genevieve shares her birthday with Alistair Crowley, and she went to the same… College, I believe. Well, oh, yeah,
0: well, right. to the same October university, 12, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, and I studied studied in Cambridge as well. So <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm like an evil demon hey, or something. Stop it!
1: Don't <laughs> scare me right a now. Scorp- a
2: Scorpio, a Scorpio? No, 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 no. Libra, a Libra. Scorpio. Right before. That's right. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure you heard the stories about Crowley, you know, being in in London there.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely.
1: Yeah, he's definitely quite an infamous figure. And uh, I think a lot of people will get confused how he managed to pretty much travel the world and and do what he did. But it totally makes sense if he came from a pretty well-off family. Now, let me ask you, I also know that people get confused with a lot of the, the terms that surround Crowley. Do you mind just telling us what the difference between the Golden Dawn and the Ordo Temple Orientis. What is the difference between those two? And did Alistair Crowley be- belong to either one of these groups?
2: Well, he did, actually. I'm not as well versed in the Golden Dawn uh, or the OTO as I'd like to be. But from what I understand, uh, when Crowley moved to London, uh, he joined the Golden Dawn. Um, and he was uh, befriended by uh, one of the leaders, uh, McGregor Mathers. Um, who actually was instrumental in Crowley leaving um, Bleskin House, and uh, but we can get back to that later. Uh, so he, he was uh, kind of um, brought into the Golden uh, Dawn, which is a magical order based on uh, the. You ever hear of the Theoth- Theosophical Society by any chance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you've you've got um, Helena Blavatsky, I believe she was a member as well. Okay. Uh So the Golden Dawn, they're a ritual magic, uh, you know, order basically. And, of course, Crowley butted heads with quite a few members and eventually left. And then he founded his own religion uh, called Thelema. Lima. Um, and the Ordo Templi Orientis is a, is a, a branch or a kind of a, 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 how can I say, a microphone for that, so to speak. Gotcha. And I actually yeah. joined the OTO when I was messing around with, with some magic myself. So it's a very interesting group.
1: Is the OTO the one that for a while, I think, was headquartered in Pasadena? Or am I confusing that with something else?
2: Oh, uh, yeah, I think – or one of their headquarters. Um, Of course, uh, you you mentioned that, um, of course, uh, the famous um, rocket scientist. uh, I mean, he is just so fascinating. It's funny you mention him because uh, Jack Parsons is – as soon as I start thinking about Jack Parsons, I want to write a book about him. He's that – Interesting. Um, Absolutely. And I I think if you want to go in that direction as well, we can discuss him.
1: Absolutely. No, I definitely want to uh, touch on Jack Parsons. But before we do that, one thing that I want to get out of the way as well before we continue is the, the issue of white and black magic and actually even the word magic itself, the way it's spelled with a K. What is the difference between white and black magic? Or is there a difference between the two and why the irregular spelling of the word when we talk about magic in these terms?
2: Magic with the K was Crowley's uh, little addition, and he wanted to differentiate... Uh, magic, which is basically affecting reality with your will, which I think is a bit of a vague explanation. Um, but the magic with the C was was mainly reserved for the stage magicians, you know, people that did okay. sleight of hand and stuff like that. Which uh, Crowley thought was it's unfortunate that people associated the two. Whereas a, uh, a magician, you know, a ritual magician will use ritual to employ uh, or tap into um, unseen realities uh, and energies uh, to help affect the physical world. And uh, that can make things quite messy. I've got, got some pretty strong opinions about magic and, and, and what it can do to someone's life, um, depending on many variables, depending on your past and future lifetimes and your energetic makeup and whether or not you have a propensity, a natural propensity to tap into other realms. Uh, but it can be quite a, quite a dangerous thing.
1: You mentioned your own experiences with, uh, with the occult. Uh, can you tell us a, a little bit more about that and how that uh, helped you understand what you believe Jimmy Page was doing during the, the, the band's heyday.
2: Oh, for sure. I mean, just briefly, when I was 23, um, I came across um, magic. First, it was just a matter of meditation and spiritualism. Uh, and then it quickly progressed to some darker stuff. Uh, and then I went through a phase where I was fascinated with Crowley. And he um, translated this this ancient uh, magical text called the Goetia or the Lesser Key of Solomon. He made an English uh, you know version of it. Uh, so I immediately purchased uh, the book and, uh, and and started studying. And I, I made this evocation mirror um, specifically, you know, as dictated by the book itself, spray painted it and put a special mirror on it and wrote in Hebrew. I really went all up because I was so fascinated to see if there was anything on the other side. It wasn't to hurt anyone or do any kind of black magic, so to speak, but it was more just out of curiosity um, and um over time, it did work, and I got my results, and, and the results were that uh, this, this stuff is uh, can really damage your life. Uh, at least in my case, it really made a mess for quite a while.
1: Would you say that your book, <laughs> then, is uh, a cautionary tale? Are you trying to give people a bit of warning uh, with this book as to what could happen if you start playing with these uh, forces?
2: Uh, well, yes and no. I I think everyone has their, their own trajectory in in their lives and you you can't really tell someone, you know, do this or don't do this because I I didn't listen and people don't listen. If they're meant to get involved in that kind of thing, I I don't judge it. But if they happen to come across, you know, my cautionary tale and they decide not to all the better, but you you can't really stop certain things from happening. Um, and and also I, I don't really regret it because, um, you know, my, my life, I've learned so much from this. And I think when you go through uh, uh, adversity like that, it builds character and it makes you who you are. Um, so I don't regret it. But at the same time, uh, it's quite an interesting uh, uh, series of events after messing around with the book.
1: I gotcha. Let's get back to the to Jimmy Page. He bought this uh, property, the the Boleskine House. And uh, with what intention would someone buy that property, in the case, you know, Jimmy Page, as you just told us, he was quite interested in Crowley. Uh, was he just part of something that he wanted to add to his collection, or or was he uh, looking to use it in a more functional way?
2: He bought the, the house in 1970, uh, just as, you know, Led Zeppelin was, was really starting to enjoy uh, success. And of course, he had lots of money. And I think for him, it was a Crowley acquisition. I mean, he was very much into Crowley. Imagine if you had the cash and, and you were you were a Crowley follower to own this this house. I mean, it'd be so cool. Um, he initially said he bought it for a quiet place where he could think and and, and write music. Um, but I also think he, um, you know, just out of fascination, wanted to own something that that Crowley owned. And even before that, he would go to auctions and and try to obtain Crowley artifacts, you know, old books, um, you know, bits of ceremonial robes and boots and all kinds of weird stuff. So he was he was a collector.
1: In your book, you mentioned that he performed what you understand to be rituals on stage. And I found this really interesting because you even uh, include some uh, uh, search terms that people can put there on YouTube to find particular clips. And when you watch these clips, it, it's a bit peculiar. I, I've been to a bunch of concerts in my life, and I, I don't think I've ever seen uh, anything like that, per se. But can you tell me a little bit of what did you see going on in the Led Zeppelin stage show that indicated to you that Jimmy Page was trying to do more than just play music for his fans?
2: I think he was he was playing around. I, I don't think he... Um, he was fascinated with the occult and he was you know involved in magic and thought, well, I, I can actually kind of transpose the two and, and I can do a big magic ritual on stage utilizing all of the energy of these people and the focus, because magical energy is really about intent and focus. I and mean, when you've got thousands of people watching you, listening, you're know, hanging on your every move. Uh, they're giving you all this energy. Um, and I think he, he realized what he could do with that, because that that's quite rare. Um, in one of the, uh, the YouTube videos that I found, um, he was calling the corners with his violin bow. Uh, and calling the corners is basically... Uh, part of a ceremony where you, where you consecrate your space. You you start a ritual, you call the corners, you clear your space, sure. and then you do your ritual. And then at the end, you clear the space again. It kind of seals the uh, um, the the, uh, the magic or what you're intending to do. Uh, so it he definitely looked, I mean, you could watch it and, and say, oh no, I don't see it. But I, I think anyone that watches it will see something peculiar going on where he's doing something with that bow, which is actually acting as a magic wand for him. Um, and then from there, it can be just the words of the music um, creating this energetic flow. Um, can I cite specific words and music, you know, aside from Stairway to Heaven uh, and the backmasking, you know, I'd really have to dig into it further, but, um, you know, as far as the, it can all be going on in his head as well. And it's, that's something that we can't verify one way or the other.
0: Gotcha. I have a question and this is mainly for anyone either tuning in part way through or for anyone that is, um, you know, really doesn't have that much background knowledge on Led Zeppelin. What are some of these negative um, outcomes, Given, given the curse is real, right? Or whether it's real or not, what were some of the negative things that happened to Led Zeppelin and or Jimmy Page?
2: Sure. I mean, I think some of the, the most obvious ones uh, were that Robert Plant crashed his car in Greece in 1975 uh, on a holiday. And th- that was quite a big crash. I mean, he was multiple broken bones. His wife was uh, you know almost died. Uh, there were kids in the car as well. They were injured. That was one of the first things. And also it set the band back a great deal. I mean, they had to do the next album uh, while uh, Plant was in a wheelchair. Uh, it took him quite a while to recover from that. And then another event is Plant Sun died from a mysterious stomach sure. virus in 1977. Um, and then the drummer, John Bottom, died of uh, alcohol asphyxiation in 1980. Those are just kind of three key events. And then once all that stuff happened, people went, whoa. They added it up and they said, has oh, this been cursed? But then again, there was also an individual that, that specifically cursed uh, Jimmy Page in uh, 1976. Um, so that's a lot of negative energy Going towards uh, the band, you can't prove it one way or the other, though. Unfortunately,
1: the rituals that Aleister Crowley was known to carry out involved, you know, a lot of sex and a lot of drugs. There have been countless books out there, and blogs, and stories abound on the internet about some of the the misadventures, let's say, that the band had with groupies and obviously their rock and roll lifestyle. This would be conducive to someone like Jimmy Page that was trying to emulate Crowley's work. You know, it would facilitate doing some of these rituals. To your knowledge, did he perform any? I know some celebrities in interviews have kind of said a few things here and there that they saw strange things in Jimmy Page's dressing room or hotel room. Do you know anything about those type of activities happening?
2: Well, I mean, as far as as getting concrete evidence, um, a lot of it is hearsay because there'd be lots of whispers about people that happen to be, you know, doing coke with Jimmy Page in the hotel room and and they saw this or that. I mean, he was definitely known for carrying whips around with him. He would whip uh, certain groupies. and even John Stamos, the uh, the actor, the full house actor guy, so he was jamming with, I think it was the Beach Boys, uh, back in the 80s, I think at some point. And he um, met Page and he actually saw what he described as devil stuff and whips in, in Jimmy Page's suitcase. So the guy would travel with, you know, with whips, that we know for sure. Um, as far as the rituals, I mean, Crowley, sex, uh, and he was kind of famous for that and it made him notorious, really, as he, took the basic magic magic rituals, added sex to them, added drugs to them, opened himself up, tried to amplify the rituals. And it was quite it's quite reckless when you open yourself up that way. Um, but sex magic, when you have sexual energy present, uh, it can it amplify the results of a, a magic ritual um, infinitely. I mean, it's amazing what it can do. It's like rocket fuel when it comes to uh, magic, provided that you can actually focus what you want to create and what you want the outcome to be during the point of orgasm in, in sex. So if you can actually think before sex, before ritual, that I want to focus on this particular outcome and not just focus on the pleasure of it, and during the point of orgasm, actually picture what you want. And then if you're having sex with a person or several people at the same time, that can can make your ritual happen so much faster. The result will, will come through. Um, and that's the, the ancient... Um, the origin of uh, orgies like the, the the Greek and Roman orgies that really wasn't just all for pleasure it was for creating um, you know certain outcomes for the for the state or for the the individuals involved wow that but we think wow. it's all like it's all hedonism <laughs> you know unfortunately
1: that, that really blows my mind because uh, yeah i guess uh, in history books a lot of time they they pass it off as you know they were just being very bohemian or very yeah out there but if this was what's actually what's going on yeah it definitely uh, gives you a different perspective of what what they were doing so right now it seems like we're talking about sex magic and another crowley decision disciple, if you will, as you mentioned earlier, was uh, the rocket scientist Jack Parsons. And uh, I've read a couple of books on Parsons, and it seems he had a pretty close relationship with Crowley, even though they never met. And Parsons himself was doing his own set of rituals here in Southern California. And uh, some people have speculated that his ritual punched some type of hole here in our reality and let some pretty bad stuff in, you know, part of the reason why some people think that Southern California is a bit weird. Do you have any knowledge of that? Because this kind of echoes a little bit of what happened at the Boleskine (laughs) Boleskine house, sorry.
2: It's a weird, I think it's a Gaelic word. It's a very strange... uh... Strange word. Yeah,
1: sure. I apologize. I stumble over that one, but uh, it echoes a lot of what happened in that in that house. What do you know about Jack Parsons? His relationship with Crowley, and do you think there's any truth that Parsons' ritual could have been successful?
2: Well, I mean Parsons, I, I it just fascinates me every time I, I, I talk about him. I don't know what the connection is, but. Um, I mean, he was a, a, a rocket fuel scientist, a pioneer uh, that came up with um, the, the solid rocket fuel that, that NASA uses. I mean, this, this guy is highly instrumental in, in the success of the space program, right? And this is somebody, this is a quote unquote scientist by day. And then by night, he's, he's a, a Crowley acolyte and he's performing sex rituals in this house. So people that say, oh, magic and all this other, it's hocus pocus. I adhere to science. Science is God, and then you've got this guy who, you know, we're supposed to think he's a, he's a lab coat guy and he's a genius, but yet he's doing magic. So, is is magic really nonsense? If this guy, who's who's so highly revered and and seen as intelligent, uh, if he's doing it, you know, maybe there's something to it. Uh, I see him as like this fascinating mad scientist character, um, and he understood that you know there's a balance between. Uh, the spirit world and also creating things in the physical. And then you've got the connection with outer space, you know, and inner space as well, which is so interesting. Um, but but in Pasadena, um, uh, Jack Parsons did the Babylon working with, guess who? L. Ron Hubbard, who was also a Crowley follower. So, I mean, if you look at Scientology, this Scientology has a basis in uh, the occult, and, and some could say in Satanism. If you want to connect the dots, I mean, it, it's proven that L. Ron Hubbard, you know, did no, rituals with did. Parsons. So freaky, man! You know, I mean, isn't that it's, it's just neat stuff to think about. And this Babylon working was to was to manifest a moon child or a, a whore of Babylon, which is basically a woman mm-hmm. that um, a woman that will perform rituals with you and be a vessel for entities. Um, because having a man and a woman together is the ultimate, uh, that's the best way to get results in a ritual. So they did this ritual between, I think it was, what, 1946, for a few months. And then Marjorie Cameron appears uh, in in Parsons' life, and supposedly she's the result of the the Babylon working.
1: Wow. And was that the, I I believe they refer to her as the Scarlet Woman? Was that Marjorie Cameron's name, or I guess magical name?
2: Uh, yes. I mean, she, she was seen as a scarlet woman. I mean, Carly had many scarlet women. Um, and, and these women are supposed to symbolize the, the whore of Babylon, um, which is basically a, a woman that can be a receptacle, um, of magical energy that can bring demonic energies or any kind of energies into her body to, to host them as a oh. vessel. so that, they, that, that kind of energy can be anchored in the physical world. And, and this kind of person that can hold this energy in them the Illuminati does these rituals, you know. They pick a certain person, uh, sex magic, and then bang. A demon goes into that body and anoints everyone, you know, wow. as as a walking demon. Um, so th- that's what a you know a scarlet woman can be, depending on you, you, the type of ritual you're doing. But Marjorie Cameron was a redhead, known to be highly psychic, an artist. Uh, she was just a really uh, potent character, and even Kenneth Anger had met Marjorie Cameron. Um, the guy who cursed Jimmy Page, and said she was the most uh, highly psychic and the most true version of a witch that he's ever met in his life. So this, this woman packed
1: a punch when you met her. Wow. And before moving on, I believe that even in Jimmy Page's own life, there were some Scarlet women, not just by uh, title, but I believe that was their actual name as well. <laughs> he, he named
2: his daughter Scarlet um, mm-hmm. with one T. I mean, come on. I, I don't think that's a coincidence. That That's <laughs> definitely an influence on his interest in Crowley. Right. Um, right. Scarlett was actually in the car with uh, Robert Plant when they had the crash in Greece. Everybody in that car, four out of five people, all had significant injuries. Scarlett Page, who's now a photographer, uh, nothing. So totally protected in that crash, which wow. statistically, wow. she should have been hurt in some way, shape, or form, and she wasn't. Now Jimmy Page is dating Scarlett Sabat. Scarlet with two T's. This girl is in her 20s. She's a poet. Um, Scarlet, first of all, you've got that Scarlet connection. And then her last name, Sabat, which can be a version of Sabat or mm-hmm. uh, a, a magic uh, ritual or Sabat day. So wow. all these wow. occult correlations. And I follow her on Twitter because I'm, I'm slowly trying to nudge her to get the old man to read <laughs> my book because... Uh, you can't get to him because a he's like a seventy year old dude. He probably doesn't know how to use Twitter or whatever else. Right? <laughs> maybe All he does. Right. So he's dating this twenty five year old or whatever. So I'm, I'm I'm hoping, without being too pushy, I can kind of just maybe get her to suggest reading it to him. But we'll see what happens.
1: What well, What would you oh, uh, okay. expect Jimmy Page to yeah. think if and when he gets a chance to read your book? What do you think he'll say?
2: I, I was very careful in in not painting him as the bad guy because. When you mention The Curse, I used to promote my book in um, Led Zeppelin Facebook groups. Oh, my God, these people go nuts. They worship Led Zeppelin. And if you even mention The Curse, they don't even allow talk of it because oh, they wow. think it's absolutely wow. rubbish, which is fine. The Curse may or may not be true. But um, in the book, I don't point the finger at Jimmy Page and say, well, all these things happened because of him, because of his interest in magic. I really think it's the Kenneth Anger's connection to the band. That really was a catalyst for any type of uh, chaos that occurred on a psychic level.
1: Before we move on to Kenneth Anger, let's talk about Led Zeppelin and their music. In your book, you include a passage where uh, uh, Jimmy Page said in an interview that Led Zeppelin's music is like alchemy and each member is an alchemical element and that the music is the result. Can you tell me how this alchemy works and was this really… The way that they were, as many people suspect, putting incantations into their music.
2: The original definition of alchemy is um, from the uh, ancients is turning base metal into gold, and I don't even know if that's possible or true. But that—that that was their whole intent: was to take a base metal and, and somehow, through a ritual, transform it into gold. Um, I, I think with the alchemy and the band members, it's almost like a recipe. Um, so you've got these these four individuals; they all contribute something. And together they make this music. And the, the music is something that you just can't create without all four together. And the vibrational energy that comes from the music and the effect that it has on people, uh, that's the magic, I think, that he's talking about it. it. Zeppelin music has this effect, at least for me and, and what I've observed, it creates this kind of bubble. It, it trances people out and puts them in this – a lot of music does that, I'm sure. Um, but but it puts people like kind of a little face little step off of time and space where they're in a different reality. Uh, if you're sensitive to it, I'm, I'm sure people could, could understand that. So I think that's what he's getting at.
1: I know that we, our bodies, are in a constant state of vibration, right? Our molecules are always vibrating. Music works as vibration. That's, that's what music is. When you charge music, potentially as the members of Led Zeppelin did, is it possible that music can have not just a physical effect, but a spiritual effect on people,
2: Oh, uh, most definitely, because it will, will affect the, the vibration, uh, the energy uh, output of their brains. And when you're, when you're listening, uh, it, it will affect your astral body. Um, it'll affect your, your spiritual uh, component, the spiritual component of your total. You know, you've got your physical body, your astral body, your energetic body. There are many layers around you. And, and the vibrations of the music can, can kind of play your body as, a, as an instrument unto itself. <laughs> We listen to music, but music plays us, and we're almost an, an instrument that's getting played by the music. Those vibrations connect with the with the unseen worlds, and they can either bring positive things in, depending on what kind of state it puts you in, or it can bring thing, negative things in. And you were mentioning about black and white magic and positive and negative. Yeah. That that's all subjective. I don't really think there's black or white magic. Um, it's very subjective. It's all based on the individual and what their you know the outcome is
1: for them. In your book, you mentioned that Led Zeppelin 3 and 4, albums 3 and 4, are probably some of the, the heavier ones when it comes to these uh, occult themes and and some of the stories that surround the production of these albums. I think the album that really changed my life as far as like Led Zeppelin albums go had to be Led Zeppelin 4. And it's very interesting because as a young kid, I remember my dad having this album and just being mesmerized, almost like in awe of the of this cover, the album cover, you know. And mind you, in the '70s, I think a lot of bands, you know, Pink Floyd put out some amazing album covers. I think it was it was a time where album covers were treated as a, as as much as an art form as the music contained between the covers. However, the Led Zeppelin 4 cover, I remember just staring at this cover for hours and just looking at the symbols and looking at the inside sleeve. Is there any type of significance to the artwork of Led Zeppelin 4? And in a minute, I want to get into probably, if not the most famous, the most infamous Led Zeppelin track, which is Stairway to Heaven and talk a little bit about that. But before that, can you break down what's happening in the cover art for this album?
2: Well sure just just briefly I mean Zeppelin three was kind of the beginning of Jimmy Page saying to the world hey I'm into the occult and, and I can give you concrete proof of it um, is that uh, on the outro groove of, of the album uh, on both on both sides He had they had it pressed into it um, and it was uh, Crowley uh, sayings uh, Sammodit B was on uh, was one of them and that's that's a basic magical saying you can, anyone can use in a ritual so it's not specifically Crowley's but Zeppelin three album had so mode it be, uh, pressed into that one, uh, on one side. Um, and then on the other side was do what thou wilt, which is a Crowley tenet, if you will, and kind of, um, encapsulated his, his outlook on life. Um, so if you can imagine those albums spinning and spinning and spinning, creating all that magical force with those words, I think that was Jimmy Page playing, you know, to see if that effect could be had and that, message could be um, you know delivered via his albums and then Zeppelin 4 just went you know flat out with the inside cover having um, a variation on the tar- the tarot card the hermit with the, the guy with the- bent over I'm-, I'm sure you guys have seen the the, the hermit card yeah. and Paige loved that one that was in there which is a dead giveaway yep you know there's there's an occultic reference there uh, and then the four symbols on there um, so each band member had a symbol attributed to them you know, Plant had a fern. Uh, John Paul Jones had a um, a Celtic uh, symbol, um, and then you've got Bonham's with the three rings, you know, symbolizing yeah. the Trinity of family, or it could be could be drum kit. People have different right. theories on that. And even Sandy Denny, who who happened to die uh, from a fall down the stairs, she was a member of a folk band that uh, sang on one of the songs in the album. Uh, who happened to die, which we think maybe could yeah. be the result of the curse. She had a symbol as well. The most famous one, though, is is Paige's, uh, Zoso uh symbol, uh, which he had on his his musical um, outfits. He had it on the band's equipment, um, and uh, I think, if anything, he used that as a, a talisman of sorts, um, you know, to to bring the band a success, and also for him, in his own mind, kind of showing the world that he's he's into the occult.
1: Tell us about this, uh, Zoso. I know that it's a sigil. Can you tell uh, the people at home that may not be familiar with this word what a sigil is and what the purpose is?
2: Uh, uh, Sure. A sigil is uh, the the word can be alternatively used as sigil symbol, uh, but it's basically a a pictorial representation um, of, of an energy signature, if you will. Uh, so, a sigil will will be designed to uh, basically magnetize a certain type of energy, and also uh, hold that energy and vibrate it out to the world. Um, so, in the the Goetia book, there are symbols of each particular demon uh, that had a very specific skill or ability. One could, you know, tell you where lost things were. One could tell you the future in the past. One could hurt people for you. So these these sigils, and I don't recommend looking at them. At all, I <laughs> would be careful. Mm-hmm. I I totally I fuzz my brain over on purpose if so I run into that stuff. And I say, no, no don't look at it. Wow. I don't want to mess with it. Um, but but these these symbols uh, they they go directly to the subconscious. Um, you can make your own sigil, uh, or you can use another sigil. Um, they're often like little recipes that are pictorial recipes or, or representations of an idea or of a of uh, an energy, if that makes sense. I know I'm kind of going all over the place, but it's basically like a stamp or a picture that means a whole lot more on a subconscious level.
1: Yeah, and don't feel bad because don't I know some bad. of these topics that we're discussing are quite arcane, <laughs> all of this knowledge is, you know. So I, I really appreciate you helping us clarify some of these terms.
0: Yeah, and I've also got a question. Um, do you feel that your involvement in magic has had an effect on your life overall in any way? Um, did it carry through into your day-to-day life?
2: Most definitely. Um, there are people that are quite sensitive to energy. That when I meet them, um, you know, I present this person that goes to an office and wears, you know, a suit to work and all this stuff, and look pretty conservative. If you looked at me, you probably couldn't tell that I was. You know, into that, I don't have any tattoos or any kind of crazy stuff that would say I'm an alternative type person. I'm pretty, and I I do that on purpose. I I don't like to appear that I'm, you know, uh, anything different than the kind of your average person. Um, But there are people that do pick up on the energy of the stuff I've messed with in the past. Uh, They're quite sensitive. They'll ask you kind of certain questions and they'll go, There's something more to you than I, there's something going on with you. And they'll smile. um, And I just kind of go, I don't really talk about that stuff unless. I can tell the person can handle it. And then I'll slowly start talking about certain things, how receptive they are to it is when I go a little bit further in. But I, I rarely talk about that stuff with anyone at work. But has it carried over into my day-to-day life? Yeah, it's affected me on a permanent level. Um, it's affected the fact that I'm in New Zealand. I mean, I wouldn't be here unless I was messing with magic. And I messed with magic. I went to this guy for help. I went through years and years of craziness this guy connected me with someone here in New Zealand and then bang I'm here it's a very long uh, story short but all this stuff is is connected and it's definitely affected my life
1: let me ask you really quick going back to this Zozo uh, I think about a year or two ago you know there were a ton of stories around the internet about this Ouija board uh, situation and some kids well not just some kids but kids all over the world apparently were getting in touch with some entity called Zozo. First of all, do you think that this was actually happening? Were these kids actually tapping into this entity? And uh, who is this Zoso entity?
2: Uh, That's a, a good question. I mean, the spelling is different. Um, it, it might have been that somebody just kind of changed the spelling, uh, you know, Zo-So and Zo-Zo. I messed with Ouija boards. <laughs> they definitely work, uh, at least for me, and it made a big mess. So I, wow. I, I would stay away wow. from them now. Um, whether or not these kids are tapping into it, quite possibly. It, you just never know. I would never discount anything. Uh, could be more like the Salem witch situation where there was a lot of hysteria and people, they were reading about it, and then they started thinking they saw it. And then quite often that can still attract entities. It's like if you go and make a shark movie in the ocean with a mechanical shark in the water. Guess what? Real sharks are going to kind of figure out something's going on there and come check it out. So you can have this fake stuff going on. It's actually going to attract the real stuff. When you make a horror movie, trust me, entities will show up and start affecting the film and the psyches of the individuals in that film. You can't see it. You can't prove it. But trust me, it happens. Wow. That's
0: amazingly interesting because we've interviewed people who have been actors in um, paranormal movies. And every now and then you you, you hear people say like for a couple of weeks after the filming, people were ill or they had some weird dreams and things like that. And it definitely makes you question things because those stories are not... Few and far between.
1: Yeah, and I mean, they're, I would... They're very common. I hate to pull tragedies and, and put them on the, on the table here, but I feel like that possibly is what happened to somebody like Heath Ledger, right? Uh, some of these actors become so submerged in bringing this character to life. And I'm guessing when you're seeking out and attracting these type of people, Energies, they will be more than happy, I guess, to uh, enter you as a dwelling almost, right? I 100%
2: agree with that. Um, I mean, actors, they have this like method acting where they go into character. You're actually channeling, you know, something. And depending on the the nature of the character you're playing, um, with Heath Ledger, I mean, he really uh, drew almost subconsciously, maybe consciously, called an entity into him to help him. Become this character because when you look at the guy when he's not in his makeup or before that movie, and you look you look at what you're looking at is not the physical, but you're looking at their energy around them. When you meet someone, uh, in my opinion, you, you make a subconscious decision whether you like them or not, whether you find them attractive or not. It's really their energy you're responding to, and then your conscious mind tells you, yes, I find you attractive or interesting or I can trust you. But it, it's you're immediately sampling their energy signature, uh, and it's nothing visual, in my opinion. And if you look at Heath Ledger, his whole energy changed because he had something in him. He probably welcomed it in because he wanted to, to do that character so well. And then the re- the residual effect was that it just it took him over because when you're kind of possessed like that, the entity wants you to drink. It wants you to take drugs because then your your barrier breaks down around you, and they can they can take up uh, you know residence in your body, and they can live inside of you and and within you, uh, and and that's that's what happens. It's it's scary, but It happens a lot more, than I think, than people realize.
0: No, that's genuinely an incredible analysis. And it's amazing to have someone like you really put that into words. I mean, I think that's something that people have been thinking about for a long time, especially in Hollywood. But you really articulated that exactly as it is. Because, yeah, people forget that when you're acting you're still doing exactly the same things that that person is doing. It's a bit like that, was it the Harvard ritual? They had a satanic satanic mass at Harvard or something like that. And they, they were saying they were just acting it out. But when you really see it just in front of you, acting it out is the exact same thing as doing it at that point i mean body intention you're basically doing the same thing
2: <laughs> and, and they they call it acting but it's like you said it, it's actually you're creating that and you you're you're creating a kind of a template or a uh, how can i put it a vessel unto itself where you know a ritual like that is is going to become a, a receptacle or an attractor of those energies and then it becomes more solid it's like if you keep thinking a thought over and over and over again It it creates something that starts snowballing in the astral plane. If you think about it enough, with enough intention and emotion, uh, long enough, and then let's add a sex ritual into that. If you can think about that thing at the point of orgasm and picture it over and over and over again, it is going to manifest in the physical. I mean, that stuff works. But… Be careful <laughs> what you do because you might get something you don't want. Um, so a- absolutely, acting is, is definitely uh, creating that very thing. Uh, and it's not just, it's not play, that's for sure.
1: To kind of wrap up this, uh, this conversation of sigils, um, in your book you mentioned that uh, sigils can be dangerous. What you say is that uh, vampiric entities like tapeworms could introduce ideas to match your thinking which I found that to be uh, honestly quite scary. Uh, I couldn't think of any other word, but it's, it's, it's quite scary. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? How does that happen? Would you even be aware that that's happening?
2: Yes and no. I think you'd have to really be adept at observing your own thoughts, observing your emotions, the patterns. You almost have to create another self that step outside you and watch you uh, and go, hey, that wasn't one of my usual thoughts. So that's something that's a bit of an anomaly in my general thinking. Or if a picture flashes into your head and you go, eh, and then all of a sudden you start running into people that maybe start saying weird stuff and you're like, is an entity trying to speak to me through this person? There's all sorts of scenarios that you can come up with where the astral world is interacting with you in the physical, but you can't prove it, but they will come through either yourself or another person. Uh, if you can look at the little little clues, a clever entity will, will kind of inhabit you quietly watch how you think and then slowly but surely uh, twist your thoughts that oh yeah, that's how I think, but it's a little extreme today. okay, but yeah, that's generally how I am. and before you know it, you don't realize you're inhabited, they'll always try to get you impulse you into behaviors which will allow them to anchor themselves further. Hey, have another glass of wine. Hey, you know let, let, let's do some acid. Uh, hey, you know let's have you know sex with this person uh, and then all of a sudden, that's opening you up to those entities and that they further entrench themselves inside you. You know, many people have astral attachment and entities around them. Sometimes you can see it. You meet them like, whoa, you're crazy. You got a lot of weird stuff going on with you and you just go the other way. Right. It's like the energy right. almost looks at you with a sparkle in its eye. I've seen it so many times saying, looking at me saying, yeah, I know that you're, I know you're there and you know that I know that you're there and that's cool. None of my business, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can definitely be manipulated um, by, 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 you know psychic tapeworms absolutely but what can you
1: do it's really uh scary to to think how you know if you're not careful right it seems like anyone that undertakes this these type of practices they're they're just one step away from like a bad move that could lead to some very bad stuff and uh One of the things that I always wonder is Alistair Crowley did this thing like spinal tap to 11. He didn't do anything just halfway. I believe he was a 32 or 33rd degree mason. And he basically dedicated his life to all of these disciplines. And I wonder if this is what happened that an entity or group of entities, for all I know, maybe began to influence his thinking and steered him in the direction that he uh, traveled. I don't know if you see that possibly happening.
2: Oh, that cow is definitely possessed from the very beginning. <laughs> I think any, any, anyone that um, has the impulse to to do a magic ritual, to tap into some of this stuff, to let's let's experiment. Something's already speaking to you. Uh, something's already trying to get you to open. It's uh, like a Trojan horse in, into the physical world. If I, as a, a ghost or an entity, or whatever you want to call it, want to inhabit a body so I can experience eating and sex and like all this neat stuff that goes on in the physical world, I want to get in that person's body. How do I do it? I start nudging them to open a door, a do a ritual or use a Ouija board or anything, burn incense and chant or do sometimes meditation, you name it. So those things are already working on people's psyches uh, to get them to do the physical things in this world to open that door so they can inhabit the body uh, and kind of graft onto your energy field. And some people are born with it. Their original self is, is not there because entities can travel generationally as well. So (laughs) it's just so much of it, and it's It's kind of scary when you think about it, but also it's nothing to be afraid of because they feed on fear. And you might have something in you and you know it's there, but you can also say, look, I'm in control. Yeah, you're hanging around me. But do you expel a a demon or anything, or do you dissolve it? Because it's there with you for a reason, but you can't expel something because it's always going to come back to you. You've seen those exorcisms. They're a mess. You need to heal the part of you that drew that energy in, and come into terms with imbalance, and then the entity will dissolve. Uh, it might take several lifetimes, but that, that's the only way you can get rid of that stuff, I think. You can't just say, be gone with you, I have holy water. It's just going to be a mess.
1: Wow, that's yeah. very well put. Let's go back to Led Zeppelin, and as we were talking about Led Zeppelin 4, Jimmy Page has said that Stairway to Heaven, there's really nothing nefarious about it. If you play enough songs backwards, you're bound to hear something. And he even joked that, you know, (laughs) it's hard enough to write music the right way. Uh, You know, he can't imagine having to write music backwards. However, some people, myself included, believe that there might be a little bit more to that. Because even when you study Crowley, he made it a point to say that one should get used to or get in the habit, at least, of thinking and speaking backwards. What is the deal with this whole backwards thing? And is this backmasking that people have pointed out in Stairway purposely done, in your opinion?
2: Uh, I mean, the, the backwards thing is, um, and I think I've actually uh, I've seen that interview that where Paige mentions that, and he does this in a jocular way, saying, oh, it's hard enough to write it in a forward way, and that crowd laughs. It's a great misdirection. It's a great way of kind of adding a little humor to something that is quite real and serious. And he, he distracts them, and he's charming, and he's famous, so he gets away with it. Right. The backwards thing. I mean, if you look at symbolism, like in sex magic, um, to to evoke a demon, they they use anal sex because that's the backwards way to have sex, and that's also the the, the symbolism of that's where you excrete, you know, your waste. That's kind right. of a demon. A demon is a shell you know, of something that was. So you're basically, in that kind of symbolism, you're, you know, using anal sex to create a demon. That's backwards, but that's, that's the symbolism of it. To back mask or to, to put a, a message in there, it accesses the subconscious directly uh, without you even knowing it. Uh, and that's very clever. It's kind of related to subliminal messages and also audio messages that are just below the, the frequency where a human being can consciously hear. So much stuff can be layered in there, so many messages. So the, the backmasking, I, I honestly don't know if it's true or not. It might just be very clever uh, marketing um, by, by the band's manager. Because that story, nobody knows really where it came out, except that a television program in the early 80s claimed that the messages were there. Where did the television program get that info? Was it maybe Pete, Peter uh, Grant, the the band's manager, saying, "Ah, oh, let's let's throw a little occult stuff in, and, and get the get you know get the band uh, some more publicity because what a great tale." But then again, yeah, you play it backwards. I mean, you hear you hear something, you know. But are you telling yourself it's there because you're expecting it? It's really hard to say, um, you know. But the, the backwards thing, Crowley saying, "Speak backwards," that that's all to everything is done symbolically with magic. And backwards is going to bring, you know, those negative type entities in. But they give you power. So they kind of leverage that. and They say, well, you give me power and pleasure. So maybe I'll just kind of put up with you living in my body.
1: It's, right. it's almost like they make a, a, a yeah. compromise or a contract at that point with this entity or entities. Now, Robert Plant said that the lyrics were written. And the way he describes it, it sounds like automatic writing. Because he says that they just kind of began to flow from his hand. And I know automatic writing is something that, that I've heard the, the term used when it comes to some occult practices and whatnot. Is this kind of what he was referencing without using the term, uh, in your opinion?
2: Possibly. I mean, there's also discrepancy on, on where Stairway to Heaven was written. Um, was it written in a cottage in Wales or was it written at Headley Grange, which is in in, in England? Um, and, and they kind of go back and forth on that because you there's there's an element of truth, I think, and also myth. But, but when they intersect and overlap, what becomes reality and true? When you, if you hear a story, you believe it. Isn't that the truth, really? Your truth? Um, mm-hmm. So with the automatic writing thing, uh, yeah, I wonder if that was contrived or not, that he just kind of sat there and and energy kind of came through him and the words just appeared. It's possible. It's a great story because automatic writing is basically just temporary possession. Right. An entity comes through you right. and writes for you. You go into a trance. So whether it's true, quite possibly, but either way, very clever. And and because we're talking about it, it, it it's evidence of the effect of this great marketing as well. And
1: right. That is very true. I know that obviously Led Zeppelin wasn't the, the only band that was um, you know experimenting with backwards uh, messages. I know Led Zeppelin, uh, not Led Zeppelin, uh, <laughs> Pink Floyd uh, on the wall, I believe they had a, a backwards message. Not nearly as, uh, as heavy sounding as the Led Zeppelin one, but as far as the uh, message itself and as you mentioned in the 80s that's when this became very popular during the uh, satanic scare of the 80s i think it's been known as that but when you hear this this backwards message playing forward and it mentions satan and things like this are, is there any anything meaningful there aside from these kind of very you know like uh, scary sounding sentences
2: with zeppelin and, and page I think that's a little bit more serious and a little bit more intent with that stuff, possibly, magically. Whereas I think a lot of other bands kind of piggybacked on the whole, like Ozzy Osbourne, really didn't know a whole lot about the occult. Um, But you have this whole, you know, um, veneer of, you know, scary, edgy stuff. I mean, kids are really into that. Kids always explore dark stuff. And um, a lot of the other bands, they just kind of used it as window dressing without understanding it. But then again, they still will attract those types of energies and entities, regardless of their... Seeming, you know, um, uh, you know, obliviousness to how it works, or, or, you know, the, the lack of experience with it. Um, it's, it's definitely uh, something that they, um, I think, used just for publicity, you know, more or less. As aside, aside from Zeppelin,
1: as uh, Genevieve asked earlier, you know, there, there were uh, some tragedies that, that befell the band members, and. Led Zeppelin was never the same. They were never able to recapture the success that they had. And as you point out in the book with the passing of the drummer, you know, any hopes for a reunion were dashed completely. Do you feel that that was also part of of the curse? That it seems whenever somebody messes with the occult, you know, the rise is stratospheric, it's fast but the fall can come suddenly and just as quickly. And it's almost what happened to the band, in my opinion. How do you see this in your eyes?
2: I mean, Zeppelin had their, their decade of, of decadence and fame, uh, and then everything just kind of crashed for them. Um, I mean, as far as the effects of A Curse, Jimmy Page really hasn't been... He hasn't moved on. Um, you've got Robert Plant with a successful um, you know, solo career, John Paul Jones, he is doing stuff in the studio with other bands. He occasionally makes appearances. He's doing all sorts of creative stuff in the music world. Um, whereas Jimmy Page, you know, arguably has done very little except be the keeper of the, uh, of, of the Zeppelin, um, you know, all of their music and doing remastering versions and, and new videos and finding old stuff and putting it together. They make a ton of money, but, but he's in a kind of a creative stasis really. Uh, and I think he's been there because of this, um, you know, so it's uh it's really hard to say, but I think the, the curse that Kenneth Anger threw, which I, I, I probably can, can talk about maybe the next time we, we, we speak and go, go in more depth. But I think that the, the curse he threw was intended to turn Jimmy Page into a statue of gold. And that specific curse that was thrown at him, it has worked. I mean, he's rich, yes, but at the same time, he, he can't progress um, you know, creatively and he's hankering. For a reunion, he wants so badly to be Zeppelin again and go on tour and live that, have that fun. It's not going to happen. Robert Plant will not allow, it and he's the the key to it. Uh, and and they're not going to tour again. So I think in that way, people say, "Oh, he's the guy's rich and famous." There's no curse. He's fine. Uh, it's it's affected him in different ways. But I'd love to go into that you know further maybe next time we talk.
0: Yeah, I mean it's kind of like a Midas, a King Midas curse essentially. You have everything you ever wanted and suddenly you realize that's not what you ever wanted. So yeah, it's literally, uh, you know, the moral that we were taught as kids when you read the story of King Midas.
1: And as we prepare to wrap up, let me ask you this. In your opinion, is there any band or bands or artists out there now that you see following in Jimmy Page's or slash Led Zeppelin's uh footsteps in, in this kind of uh, occult arena.
2: Uh, I'm I'm kinda of, <laughs> I'm still kinda of lost in the eighties musically, seventies and eighties, <laughs> and I don't really keep up with bands. Um I do know that David Bowie, who's another topic unto himself, he's fascinating into the Nazis and Crowley and the occult, very much like uh, Page. He's a, a neat person that would definitely be along the lines of Jimmy Page. Uh, current bands, not not that I'm aware of quite honestly, no.
1: And uh, uh, lastly, why don't you tell people where they can get your book because it's really fascinating and that's where they can really get all the info about this Led Zeppelin curse and all that stuff.
2: Oh, sure. Thank you, Frank. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you can find it on Amazon.com. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be putting it on uh, Smashwords and also, uh, Barnes and Noble, the Nook as well. Um, and I'm working on getting a hardcover version of it, which I think will be helpful because lots of folks don't like to read the the ebook. So uh, I'll get that finished. I've got a website that's almost finished, um, LanceGilbert.net, and that's going to have, um, you know, the current book of course, and, and future projects as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely send you guys that link once it's available. But awesome. yeah, just find it on Amazon, and um, you know I think you definitely would enjoy it. It's quite philosophical, and it, it's not sensationalistic, and doesn't make Paige the bad guy, which a lot of people probably think. So,
0: all right, um, I think the chat has been really enjoying things. Um, I mean, there's been comments all along. One one of the latest comments actually has been um, someone just speculating um, about the Rolling Stones. Is that something you've ever looked into?
2: Oh, absolutely, and I even I, I mentioned them in the book. I, I think it kind of opened up a, a whole other track that we can go on if you want to speak again. Because All right. um, <laughs> Kenneth, Kenneth Anger was in the orbit of the Rolling Stones um, before he got into the orbit of uh, Led Zeppelin, and he, I believe, was was the, the reason behind the the Altamont uh, Speedway disaster. Um, so yeah these people all tie in in such interesting streams but definitely the Stones had a satanic phase as well
1: Lance thank you so much for uh, taking the time to be with us we look forward to having you again and discussing some more of these uh, interesting and fascinating uh, topics that if not real, they're at least, you know, very interesting uh, speculations and food for thought to kind of help decipher some of the other going ons in the uh, entertainment industry, which uh, always gives people a lot to talk about. Thank hey, it was great to so meet you. I
2: well, appreciate you having me on. And yeah, I would love to chat again. Really, right. thank you.
1: Take it easy, Lance, and we'll talk to you later.
0: All right. All thank the way from just- New Zealand. Goodbye. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that was Lance Gilbert, author of The Led Zeppelin Curse. As he just said, you can pick that up uh, the- digitally on Amazon. And uh, it's definitely, definitely a very fascinating book. I must say, if you're into rock and roll and some of these occult themes, uh, it definitely will tickle your funny bone. Genevieve, final thoughts on that?
0: I thought it was... (laughs) An incredible interview and honestly, I know there was so much left to be said. So I can't wait to have Lance on for another, you know, like part two of this interview.
1: Do you have anything to say about your Crowley connection?
0: Oh, happy birthday when it comes around.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You'll be celebrating for two. Yeah. There you go. That's the (laughs) way to do it. Anyways, guys, that was a lot of fun. That being said... Take care, be safe, God bless, don't do anything too crazy. We want to see you back next week. As always, I'm Engineer Frank on Twitter, West of the Rockies on Facebook. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at WOTR Radio. And check out the website, WOTR Radio.com. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash WOTR Radio. And uh, yeah, just hit subscribe, that's the best way to support us, and we appreciate uh, all the uh, listens and the clicks and all that good stuff, Uh, thank you so much. And uh, we'll go out with a little bit of Led Zeppelin, and uh, what the heck, let's do Stairway to Heaven. Um, I remember as a kid, I really, my dad wouldn't let me uh, spin his records backwards, because I would mess him up, so I could never really hear the backwards message, up until, you know, the age of the internet, I think. (laughs) So... uh, Here's A Little Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin to tie this whole thing up. Uh, Take care, guys. We'll see you next week. Till then, bye-bye.
0: Good night.
1: West of the Rockies
0: with Frank the Engineer on the Independent FM Los
1: Angeles.